Hey everyone, welcome to episode 51 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Ginny Wu. Hey, hey, hey. And Andrew Brown. Hello. And that was a bit of a British accent. I feel attacked. Uh, so uh, we hopefully got a good show for you this week. We're going to talk about Dark Souls Remastered, Starlink, the battle for Atlas, and Sinner Sacrifice for Redemption, and a little bit on Warriors Orochi. And yeah, let's just get straight into it. Okay, so there's not much news this week, so we're just going to get straight into what we've played, and there's been some pretty high-profile releases in the the last week. We're going to start with Starlink, which is a new game from Ubisoft, follows the usual Ubi blueprints, but set in a kind of like No Man's Sky-esque world. There's uh, planets that you can seamlessly fly into and fly out from and space battles and all this sort of stuff but it's set in this little contained star system and uh yeah so far i've only played like an hour and a half of it but i kind of dig where it's going uh it's a toys to life game so there's a whole bunch of plastic stuff you can buy to enhance the experience or not as we're about to discuss uh Andrew, you had this on pre-order for the physical version, then you changed your mind and decided to get the digital version. Do you want to talk us through that? Oh, yeah. I, I changed the, the physical to the digital, and uh, it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew's like trying on a buffet of accents today. I spent a long time comparing everything that comes in the physical starter set to what comes in the digital starter set. And the physical starter set comes with uh, an R-Wing ship, which is pretty cool. And it comes with two pilots. It comes with Fox, and it comes with the main Starlink character, who honestly, his name I have never learned. And it comes with two weapons. It comes with a flamethrower and, like, an ice burst gun. And it also comes with actually two additional things that you don't see in the box. It comes with a digital version of another ship, which is actually statistically identical to the R-Wing. So the R-Wing is actually just a reskin of another ship that was already in the game. That's kind of disappointing. And it also comes with a, a shredder gun, which is like this non-elemental dirt gun, basically. <laughs> and uh, that is functional, but not very interesting to use or look at. And all of this altogether in the U.S. costs $75, whereas the Starter Edition Digital costs $60 and comes with five pilots, seven ships, and 12 weapons, and it costs $15 less. And I just kept looking at this, and I was like, it's really going to come down to whether those weapons, having a variety of them, is going to be a big deal or not. And as I've come to discover, it is a big deal. So I'm very glad that I decided to switch from the physical version to the digital version because if i just used the weapons that come packed in with the digital version i would be having a pretty bad time with this game i think okay well that's that gives us a good part of, you know a good stance for comparison because I, I i would say 50 percent of why i bought this game was for the r-wing model i won't lie and and less so in the actual game itself uh 
so I've I've played with the toys a little bit, so I can I can give a bit of a, a rundown on how that works. Uh, so in the the box, you get a sort of grip for your Joy Cons that you plug into, and then it's got like a, a stand on it where you you slide in a a pilot, and then you slap whatever ship you want on top of it, and that just all sort of magically appears in the game. Uh, now the toys themselves are, are pretty cool. The the figures are tiny, uh, and if you look close, they're, they're painted a little dodgily. But because they're, they're so small, it doesn't really make that much difference. Uh, but the ship itself is really good quality. Uh, it's got little movable parts. You can rip the wings off, and if you wanted to, slap different wings on it from a different ship. And uh, yeah. But when you're actually playing the game, you've just got this thing sat on your controller for no reason, really. Uh, especially when you've sort of settled on the weapons you want. Uh, I haven't played enough to say whether the the two weapon types I've got in the physical version are going to hold me back at any point in the story. Uh, I I feel like that would be a really dumb decision to sort of not let people beat the game as easy as other people just because you've spent more on the physical edition. Uh, now, I will say I went to uh, Target like just an hour ago, and while we were there, we swung by the, the game section, and I wanted to have a look at the Starlink prices and things, and they had a bunch of the weapons. They were about $12 each AU. Uh, the ships were like nearly 50 bucks. So, yeah, if I'm ever going to buy any of those, I'm going to be waiting a long time for them to, to hit sale. They'll be marked uh, down by next summer. Yeah, I reckon that's a good shout. Uh, as for the game itself, so a large part of the selling point on the Switch version is because it includes Star Fox and Friends and One Foe. And uh, yeah, we've I think we're both in agreement here that they're, in, they're sort of integrated into the plot a lot better than we were expecting. So I haven't seen... Uh, any footage of the other versions uh so basically it follow the plot follows this sort of team of adventurers who know how to make this fuel called nova and their captain gets kidnapped and he's like the father figure or literally the father to at least one of them and yeah it jumps into this space battle and fox and his buds are just sort of watching and decide to join in and it doesn't feel like they're forced in the, into the story at all. I, I feel like it's pretty natural. They appear in cutscenes. There's the usual talking head stuff. I'm not used to Star Fox characters actually having proper voices, though, and not just going raw, 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 raw. What do you think? What do you think about this element? Do you think they're 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 well integrated still, or you've probably played a bit more than me? I want to back up. What were you playing where they were just making Simlish noises? They've been voiced since Lilat Wars. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've played Lilat Wars. Exposing Andy as a fake fan. Oh, we knew that a long time ago. <laughs> hey, this isn't the segment where you attack my character. That's a different segment, okay? <laughs> That's at the end of the podcast, this episode. Well, it's not so much that... Uh... They are forced into the plot. It's that Fox forces his way into the plot. They're just kind of flying by, minding their own business, and see these Starlink guys coming under attack. So Fox flies in and helps them, and then 
they all get shot down and after that point they're pretty much in this thing together so yeah it, it works pretty well it's a bit contrived but the way they're all brought together it makes sense it's believable yeah and it doesn't seem to matter which pilot you've got in it doesn't seem to affect the story in any way the objectives remain the same and it's it's all just seamlessly like switches over i i did a a little bit of playing around by switching to one i got a, a bonus character with my pre-order that i wasn't expecting uh, a little monkey thing and uh slipped him in and it didn't make any difference really they they acknowledged him as his character but didn't you know didn't feel forced or anything like that which is it's kind of cool considering that you could be swapping these things in and out quite regularly yeah i've, I've actually played two different game files a little bit so far and one of the things they do is actually really cool is depending upon what character you have plugged in it can actually change the story a little bit because the main game i'm playing obviously I'm, i've mostly been playing as fox and i played as him from the very start but i wanted to see what it played like handheld so i started a second file on handheld mode and i chose to play as shade who's uh this prospector character that you meet about an hour into the plot and I wondered how it would happen, like how they would make it work that if I'm playing a shade right from the very start of the game, how he's going to suddenly also appear an hour into the plot where he's introduced for the first time. And actually what they did was, since I was playing a shade, introduced a completely different character with a completely different set of dialogue and a completely different introductory mission. Actually, it was the same mission, but it had new dialogue. So I was actually pretty impressed. They seem to have put a lot of thought into all the different ways that different people might have different access to the different toys or just have different choices that they're making in the digital version of the game. It's pretty impressive how much thought they've put into that, which probably speaks to how naturally the Star Fox team fits into all of it as well. Yeah, it's it's a, a really cool system they've worked out so nothing feels out of place when you do a switch over. Uh, now, onto the game design itself, it is quintessentially Ubisoft. And everything that comes with it, including the whatever variation of Ubi Towers they have in this, oh, which boy. opens up all the areas on the map. Each planet in the solar system you're in is its own little sandbox. You 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 go down, you can explore, you do the Ubi Tower, it opens up icons for things you can do. There's like lots of collectibles if you're a completionist, which I'm probably not going to be on this one. I'm just going to follow through the the story, I think. Uh, anytime after the sort of prelude you can set your ship to fly properly and just fly out of the atmosphere just like in no man's sky obviously this isn't procedurally generated it's all expertly crafted and on a smaller scale but it's still really cool to see that sort of uh technology working on the switch it's not something i thought would have been possible but it seems to work uh now space combat so there's two types of combat there's ground combat and there's space combat now you were having a bit of trouble with the dogfights in space yeah i feel like i get ganged up on a lot with many ships getting on my tail and i'm really not finding a way to shake them like because in star fox 64 which is the space shooter i played the most i would just do a 360 flip uh, to get behind them but that doesn't work in this game because it doesn't have one at least not one you can do naturally i could just hold down on the joystick and just fly around in a big circle but that actually isn't as nimble as it makes it sound and the enemies just followed me and there is a quick turn ability you can use but that gets them off my tail but it doesn't help me to counter attack so i'm 
it's probably just my inexperience with this kind of game, but I, I've I felt that there's a very large difference in difficulty between the ground combat, which is almost pathetically easy, and the space combat where I felt like I was getting ganged up on quite unfairly quite a bit. Uh, so I've not had a problem with the space combat. I've, I've obviously not done a, a whole lot of it. I've had a couple of battles, uh, and basically I just treat it as I would any sort of flight simulator where I would slow the ship down as slow as possible to make them go past me, and then aim and get on their tail instead um but i i do agree it does feel weird not having the ability to do a you know an instant loop the loop because you're you're in an hour wing it just feels like you should be able to do that thing <laughs> uh so the only other thing is, is obviously the switch version is gonna not look as good as the ps4 or xbox one version i've not actually seen any footage of those versions um you've probably seen more than me andrew you were doing some research on this before it came out weren't you i looked at some comparison videos and the playstation 4 version at least uh the planets have a lot more objects on them especially like trees and things and the colors are more vibrant there there are brighter colors and there are probably more of them and one thing i also noticed on the switch version is that when you go and you fly in the atmosphere there's actually a pretty thick amount of fog put in there that limits the draw distance so there are definite compromises made to get it running on the platform but i haven't noticed any slowdown or hitches or lag or crashes or anything like that so it does run very well and Honestly, I don't spend a lot of time on the planets flying, and when you're on the ground, it looks fine, and when you're in space, you know, you're, you're in space, there's nothing to see anyway, so it it is pretty minor, it's a pretty minor problem. Yeah, like, obviously, I've not seen the other versions, I, when I was playing it, I just thought, wow, this looks really good, and it, and how much it looks like No Man's Sky, even, like, in terms of the way the uh, plant life looks on the, the planets, and the, the fauna and just the color schemes as well it's like you the inspiration is clear so yeah i think i think that about wraps it up on that um i've already stopped playing using the toys the the wings now in my office uh on one of my cabinets uh and yeah i think i'll i'll just stick with the digital equivalents for the time being um is worth mentioning if you have the physical versions i think there's some sort of uh, time frame where it it lets you play for a certain amount and then forgets that you have them so you can't just borrow your mates weapons and give them back straight away and use them forever uh you were trying to find out what that sort of time limit was i believe i've heard it described as a week but i've never seen anything official that actually talks about it especially in the game itself which is super weird so i don't know but like i'm i'm kind of limited in how much research i'm able to do since i bought the digital version so everything i have is just automatically unlocked so there's really no tutorials for me to look at as far as you know blank spaces or shadowed boxes or anything like that fair enough uh i will let you know because i i scanned my bonus character in uh, yesterday so when i come back to it hopefully in a week or so i'll be able to tell you whether he's still active or or whatnot um i can't imagine that they would take the r-wing away from people since he's so ev- heavily integrated mm. into it so we'll see how that goes maybe i will have to re- 
retrieve it from the office. One of the whole things with these Toys to Life games is to cut into the used game market, so it really wouldn't surprise me at all if you have to rescan the R-Wing too. I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted. Uh, okay, so, uh, well... Ginny's been silent. We'll get onto something she's been playing. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about about Starlink. Like Star Fox, I'm acquainted with um, because he's been in the Smash games, and also I've seen some unfortunate art online. Um, <laughs> but pretty much every other aspect of Starlink, I'm like, oh, you know, this this sounds okay, but I, I'm just kind of hot off playing another Ubisoft title, which is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So it's not really like I've got room for another one, but Furia. Uh, okay is a really good word to describe Starlink. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm enjoying it. I've enjoyed what I've played so far. Um, also with the, the, the Ubisoft formula, I think... Like I know we all joke about that it's expected and they've got the Ubi Towers and all that sort of stuff, but it's like it's it's like a comforting rhythm. You know what you're getting. Yeah. And it and it's a sort of rhythm that will keep you playing. And I think it's cool to have that on the Switch finally in some form, even if it's this this more kiddified uh version of that. Uh, and not like an Assassin's game or something. I, I, I think it's cool. I think it's good to be on the Switch. I'm glad it's here. It's definitely better on the Switch because you can play it portably. So, exactly. Yeah, you can play it more casually rather as when you're playing it on a console. You're like, oh, I got to find all the chests on this map, and I literally can't do it anywhere else but sitting here on my couch. Kill me now. <laughs> the power of the Switch. Okay, so on to something Ginny's played. We're going to talk about Warriors Orochi. Yeah, Warriors Orochi, which none of you guys have played. So <laughs> it's just nope, going to be I the sound of my voice for the next 10 minutes. He wanted to steal your code. Well, I mean, he could have had it, but... um. <laughs> <laughs> so Warriors Orochi, where do I start with Warriors Orochi? Um, I guess it's a Warriors game. Okay, now don't laugh. <laughs> it is a Warriors game. Uh, which seems like a really silly thing to say when I'm trying to, I guess, find a baseline for what to talk about. But the reality is, if you've not played a Warriors game and you're like, I wonder what this stuff is about, I'd actually recommend picking up Warriors Orochi as like a starting point. Um, and I'll just kind of, I guess, briefly explain why why I think that. So it kind of has the biggest, I think it does have the biggest definitive roster of all Warriors, mainstream Warriors games. I think it's something like 170 characters, which I haven't all played through in the single-player campaign, but the depth of the characters available is huge. So, I mean, just from that standpoint alone, you get a lot of champion variety. That was one of the main critiques with Fire Emblem Heroes. At least I think it was not only me, but also, was it one of you guys, Andy or Andrew, that said that there wasn't a huge amount of variety in the weapon types and the attacks available to the characters in Fire Emblem Heroes? was a great fan service title, but mechanically it wasn't as strong as, for example, let's say, Zelda Hyrule Warriors. So I think Warriors Orochi, being part of the mainland series, has that really, really good A, character variety, and B, just a completely nonsensical plot that you just don't have to pay any attention to. So the focus is really 
just about bashing heads, unlocking characters, and then bashing in more heads with those other characters. Like, for example, the plot really is all about Zeus. Um, he's real bored. <laughs> and he's like, hey guys, I'm going to put a bunch of people from the Warring Kingdoms and the Three Kingdoms period together in this world with a bunch of my homeboys, and you guys are just going to bash each other up. And that's that's it. That's that sounds really like it. something Zeus would do. Exactly. So, I mean, from a, you know, mythologically accurate standpoint, it's, you know, it's pretty good. Um, and it's just, it's just fun. It feels great. It plays great. I have also played um, the PS4 version. And I have to say the Switch graphically is not going to match up to that version. But that's fine. I like Warriors Orochi handheld anyway. Um, and it really didn't heat up my Switch as much as Fire Emblem Heroes did, surprisingly. Even though I feel like Warriors Orochi has more has more models or more detailed models on screen at pretty much every single opportunity. So, um, performs well. Um, it's cheesy. It's fun. Um, it's standard muso, so slashing, bashing, and everything else in between. Um, and yeah, I think it just, it feels more accessible to me, mainly because of the gigantic roster and also just how it kind of just doesn't really bother with have shoehorning in anything that might seem important plot-wise. You know, there's no, like, Three Kingdoms flavor, no Samurai Warriors flavor. It's just kind of, this is a thing. You're all fighting each other. Just fight. And I think that kind of no-nonsense approach kind of will help people that are new to it get really stuck into the whole mechanics of the game. So I rate it. I really enjoy it. And I think Andrew should pick it up. I will eventually. They've they've recently announced the Dynasty Warriors 8 Extreme Complete Edition, I think is the full name, is coming out for Switch 2. So, you know, if you like your Warriors games, your Musou games, you got options. Still waiting for Dragon Quest Heroes, though. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> okay, so uh, just before we move on, to dark souls let's talk about a game that's inspired by dark souls uh Ginny, you've also been playing sinner sacrifice for redemption yeah i have been um name's a mouthful sinner sacrifice for redemption i won't say it every single time um i'll just call it sinner so sinner is a souls like and i know i groaned internally when i said that because i hate words like roguelike souls like i feel like they're inherently meaningless but the reason why I'm saying Souls-like is because it is literally just the segments of Dark Souls that are boss fights. That is the entire game. So Sinner is a boss rush game. You just fight boss after boss after boss until they're all done. And then finito. Um, that's really it. Um, so as you can tell by the name, um, Sinner Sacrifice for Redemption is literally about sacrificing things to redeem yourselves when you fight the se- uh, you know the seven deadly sins which are all really grotesque victorian horror inspired bosses so that's a thing you dodge roll you smash things you dodge roll more you scream like a small child um you scream some more drink some health pots um die gruesomely and then keep trying it over and over again until you win it sort of really is just the the boss experience condensed down into a couple of hours um and i think it's it's good because of that. Um, I think it kind of gives people that people who enjoy Dark Souls games often feel like, I suppose, for me personally, I enjoy the boss fighting aspect. I enjoy getting mercilessly grounded to mince beef pretty much every time I see something new. So for me to have a game experience encapsulate just that is fine. Um, it graphically actually performs 
pretty well considering um, the environments are a lot more detailed than I expected. Um, I know early screenshots of the game were probably not the most forgiving. Everything looks really, really sparse, but each boss has things like custom music, custom moves, custom patterns, and it does really reward you for learning things like patterns and learning how to spot different things on the map. And it uses the environments really well. So it's actually got really, really well-crafted boss fights and boss arenas, despite being, I guess, what a lot of people might consider Souls derivative. So um, I enjoy it. If you're a Dark Souls fan, but you feel like you don't want to run around getting clobbered by trees um, or whatever, and you just want to fight the big dudes, then this this would be a good one to pick up. Um, there is a new game plus mode, which significantly ramps up um, how much everything hurts, and a cool secret boss that I won't tell you guys about. Um, but it, no, it's really good. I enjoyed my time with it. It didn't take me around to finish it. Probably about, beat every boss probably in about eight hours or so. So it didn't take me a whole lot of time. But then obviously that's not counting NG+, which I'm still plowing through. So it's got replayability. It is also a title out of China, which is very cool. Um, so I'm always looking to support more um, overseas developers. So if you feel like you have a soft spot for the soul stuff and you think that you'd want it on the Switch and maybe not want the full Dark Souls experience, or maybe you want it as like an appetizer to a Dark Souls experience, then I can recommend Sinner Sacrifice for Redemption. Cool. Uh, now, away from the pretenders, <laughs> let's talk about the king. Oh, fighting words, fighting words. The original. Uh, it was a surprise to me, but Dark Souls Remastered launched on Switch yesterday uh, in our uh, away from the show in a, one of our chats. It was just I, I I had seen that Dark Souls was on the the show notes, and I was just like, oh no! Uh, but I picked it up, and out of a sense of duty, I I started it yesterday, just to give you a bit of a history with my experience with the, the Soul series or more from softwares. Uh, games i basically played 10 minutes of dark souls previously and decided it wasn't for me Uh, i then never looked at that series again until bloodborne came to the ps4 Uh, i actually got sent a review copy for that and so i was like ah go on then i'll give it a go and after i got over the hump and understood uh, the from software structure i was obsessed i played it three times through in a row like not even stopping to play anything else uh, and then it made me go straight on to dark souls 2 remastered which had just come out on ps4 as i was finishing up with that third playthrough uh so yeah i i know that this is classed as the best in the series and i've been wanting to give it that that second go for a long time uh and basically from what i can tell it's just dark souls on the switch it's it's if if that's a thing that excites you, then you're going to get everything that you want here. A uh, couple of weird, weird little issues. Uh, me and Andrew were discussing this earlier. <laughs> they have decided to switch the functionality of the A and B buttons. Unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, which is really weird. Uh, so you're you're building your character. You you know you're using B to do the the okay action which just feels wrong on a nintendo console uh, and then you go to put the name of the character in and it uses the system keyboard so oh, then it switches the buttons painful. back and i swear i quit out of that naming window like six times before i managed to get my head around that 
I have this weird thing where if I'm playing on my PS4, it's fine. It makes sense. If I play on Switch, the A and B difference is fine. It makes sense. But if you put a random game that operates the opposite way on one of these systems, I am gone. My head can just not comprehend (laughs) that difference. Uh, Once you're in the game, it's absolutely fine, though. But I do keep, like, stepping backwards instead of picking things up, which is a bit annoying. Uh, In terms of performance, I'm not one who focuses on frame rate. I can't tell you how this looks in comparison to the PS4 version of Dark Souls Remastered, but the game runs really, really, really well. The graphics are comparable to my memories of Dark Souls on the PS3 when I originally tried it. Uh, I'm reliably told it looks significantly better than the PS3 version. Uh, In handheld, it looks beautiful. I expected a lot more graphical depreciation switching to handheld, but it sort of has really exceeded my expectations in in that way. Uh, Now, playing in handheld has has been really fun, actually. I've been using it just to grind some souls in areas you know areas i've I've already managed to nail so i can just pick it up jump in do a run of that particular area get a lot of souls go back level up now one of the things that people were really keen to know about was how putting the switch to sleep works uh it's a bit messy so obviously one of the big things about dark souls is that you cannot pause that's part of the difficulty it's just the way it is and it's a de- design decision if you put the switch to sleep and you're connected to their servers when you boot the switch back up it will kick you to the main menu doesn't sleep it i had hoped that it would just switch it to offline and you know just ask you to reconnect or whatever it doesn't it kicks you to the main menu so if you're playing this out and about and portably make sure you switch to the online offline mode first before you jump in or you will lose that that progress uh and but if you're playing in offline mode that sleep function works fine exactly as you would hope my advice is just always stop at a bonfire and if you're online and you're going out quit out first that's my only piece of advice for that one uh now i wasn't I've got so many big games on at the moment that I wasn't planning on on playing this through, but I played this for like five hours last night and its hooks are in me like the in the same way that Bloodborne got its hooks into me. So I think this is going to be the, the thing I play now until I finish it. I, I I just love the the tension it creates and... It's a, it's one where you really inch your way through the environments when you don't know them and you really have to learn where enemies are coming from, where they're going to jump out, and it's just this continual learning thing. And I really love that. I appreciate that. Uh, Andrew, I believe you've played a bit today. You've probably not played as much as me yet. I booted it up, literally, to boot <laughs> it up, and I got to the main menu after going through like four different end user license agreements that I had to use the (laughs) D-pad to navigate through and then press the B button, which is wrong to get past. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that was as far as I've gone. 
I've, <laughs> I've listened to entire podcasts about Dark Souls. I've read reviews. I've read essays. I've watched videos on YouTube. Uh, I've never seen a single person talk about this game in a way that sounded remotely interesting to me. So my interest in the game has always been really low. I finally picked up a copy used a couple years back for 360, and I just never got around to playing it until about a year later. I played it for one night, and then I felt absolutely no desire to continue. And so I've picked it up on Switch now in the hopes that the Switch magic will get me to actually sit down and play this game that everybody loves so much. And I hope that's going to be the case, but I don't think it's going to be the case anytime soon because I'm playing too many huge games right now as it is. I've got Octopath Traveler I'm still trying to finish. I've got Starlink that I'm 15 hours into now, and I completely forgot that Dark Souls was even arriving today until I got my delivery notice, so I just... I don't know what it is about this game, what is it about this series, but it just it does not excite me, so... I think this will be one that I come back to in time and go, oh, this game's actually awesome, but it'll be some time from now, I hope. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those where in the opening stages, especially with Bloodborne, I was just like, yeah, I, I get it, I get it. And then there was just a, a point where it clicked and there was no looking back and it was all I would think about all day. It. Uh, yeah, I've I've been looking forward to experiencing this first Dark Souls for quite a while, and yeah, I'm so glad it's here. And like the apprehension about me playing it was just based purely on how much, or how many games I'm trying to play at once at the moment. Like I've, I'm playing Dragon Quest Eleven on on PS4 as well. That's a huge time sink. Uh, but this has just sort of come in and made everything else seem like less of a priority. So yeah, uh, I think there's also a lot to be said about playing it at release to be involved with the community side of it so uh, for those that, that haven't played a dark souls game if you're playing online there's famously there's the chance that other players can invade your game and kill you uh, but also you can call in help for bosses that you're struggling with uh, and you can also leave notes for people you can leave them warnings or you can troll them and tell them to jump off bridges which I, I did a couple of times in Dark Souls 2. Wow. Yeah. That it's was you, sound, the evil yeah. guy. This, yeah, and this all and sounds miserable. <laughs> and that's the point. It is misery. But it's about overcoming the misery, and that's the rewarding part. Uh, like, I don't know how masochistic it, Andrew actually is. Like, you get you get to a boss, and they just straight up murder you in seconds, and you're like, oh my god, this is literally impossible i don't know how people play this game and then you just you know you just work at it and you learn the patterns you learn every pattern you, you learn when to dodge uh or in my case try and get an extra hit in and then die horrifically <laughs> well that uh, all sounds fine but it's like summoning in somebody to beat the boss for me and it's like okay no they help you it, it just it, a lot of the time you get like a different class as well and they'll help help you in a different way because uh although they give you the options for long range things in this. It's not always built that way. Like the bosses aren't always built for that, or they're built for a specific type, and you can just call someone in to give you a hand. It's it's definitely not a a instant win for sure. I've I've playing in Dark Souls 2, I've lost 
heaps of matches with like three three other players or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it it is about overcoming the challenge, and it is really rewarding when a bossy stock on finally goes down. It is so cool. Uh, the one thing I'm interested in with this one especially is with Bloodborne, I managed to solo the whole thing on my own. I was determined to do it. Managed it. Super happy. I got to Dark Souls 2 and that just didn't seem like it was plausible. Uh, I just There was a whole week where I was just banging my head against this same boss and it didn't seem to matter how many times I, I leveled up the stats for my character. It just would not go down and then I ended up giving in and summoning, summoning in people and it just helps it flow a bit nicer. It's just it's just an option. But yeah, I'm interested to see how essential that is going to prove to be in this one. Um, And yeah, that's it. I, I did have one other thing to talk about. I should have talked about it in the updates from the previous episode, but I forgot because I wasn't looking at the right part of the show notes. Um, Valkyria Chronicles 4. Just a little bit extra. I wanted to talk about that. Uh, now... Me and Andrew, we tend to play a lot of strategy RPGs, I would say, and we've both previously expressed that we find them pretty draining and tiring, even though we enjoy them. That's right, isn't it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I had a moment of clarity during the week as to to why I think that is. So uh, on Thursday lunch, my uh, wife was out of the city. She was booked in getting some work done on her sleeve tat. And so I took my switch in to play over my lunch break and thought, yeah, cool. I'll knock out a mission in Valkyria Chronicles 4. Sit down. And this was like the first mission where they really put me on the back foot. Like the enemy had the first move. That's the first time I've seen this. They straight straight up killed like four of my party members before I even had a chance to react. And so I'm like, okay, I can do this. And I I rallied, I, I brought in the right troops to deal with the situation from calling them in from the base. I I got myself into a winning position. This took like the whole lunch hour and then too late I realized I'd left my my character's base unguarded. There was a tank that should have been protecting it and he was just out of the way because I'd moved him to protect someone else and the enemy took it and I lost it and that whole hours worth of work was completely wasted i hadn't saved at all and i was just like i don't want to do that again and uh yeah i was it's just weird because the whole time i'm going yes this is awesome i love strategy games and then that happened and i was just like nope can't do it anymore and i think i think that's what it is i think it's the the tension of knowing that even though you think you're being super careful, something's going to come along and just completely unravel your entire plans. Like, it was a complete disaster. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it's that's the stress that that might happen. Uh, although in Valkyria Chronicles 4, you can save at any time, and I just had neglected to do that because it was going so well. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to to add to that conversation. Okay, folks, what are you playing in this coming week? Um, I am not going to play Starlink, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I'm probably going to play Dark Souls Remastered if I end up finding the time for it. And I'm still trying to plow my way through the rest of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 so I can actually play Torna. 
because that's mm-hmm. been on my list of to-dos for a long time. But, you know, life. I, I've just accepted I'm not going to get onto Torn until Christmas. Oh, actually, that might be smart. That might be a smart way to deal with it, actually. <laughs> but I'll let you guys know how I go next week. <laughs> Probably just more Starlink for me. Cool. I'm going to plug away at Valkyria Chronicles 4 still. Uh, Dark Souls is now my main game that I'm playing above all else. Uh, and I liked Starlink enough that I definitely want to get back to it. So I'm going to try and plot out some sort of timetable to fit all that sort of stuff in. Thanks for listening to us on this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed our episode, please leave us a review on iTunes because it really actually helps to get us noticed. And you can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Um, We also have a Discord server that we use, and you can join it if you want to interact with the lively Stitch Focus community. And you can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and also at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Um, we'll leave any relevant links for you in the show notes as well. Um, if you want to support the show in another way, you can also buy us a coffee and we'll have the details for that on our website. Cool, thanks. Um, you can also follow us individually. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. And he also streams at twitch.tv slash playcritically. And I am Ginny at Ginny Rose. Cool. <laughs>
One, two, three, click. click. Jesus. Yelly. <laughs> okay, that'll do. <laughs> You're like, this is fine. This this could not get this, this, any this worse. <laughs>